With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everyone and welcome along to your Monday night edition of the TII podcast. My name is Craig Dennett and I'm your host this evening for a podcast with a little bit of a difference as you'll see with uh, Craig King with us on the bottom right hand corner. We'll come to introduce Craig in a second but first of all to two of our normal contributors. Uh, John, welcome along to the podcast. How are you doing? All right, just about recovering from, from Saturday but other than that, pretty good. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's still deflated. Is 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 the uh, the general feeling from Saturday? Um, but we'll come on to a bit about that and and how it looks going forward. I think in terms of the bigger picture. But yes, definitely still deflated. And our managing editor Tommy, how you doing, Tommy? I'm well, thank you. That's just killed my my optimism. I'm glass half half full there as I was trying to move away uh, from from the weekend, but. Uh, yeah, let's at least try and look forward on this evening's podcast. Absolutely. We've got a big European qualifier to look forward to. And to help us do that, we are joined by Craig King. How are you doing, Craig? Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. And uh, hopefully Craig will be able to tell us everything there is to know about Servette as we uh, get ready to take on the Swiss side on Wednesday night at Ibrooks. In the first leg, uh, Craig, it'd be great if you could just give a bit of an, an introduction to yourself and where your expert knowledge on on the Swiss League comes from. Yeah, so it's, it's quite a long story, but so I'll keep it short. But basically, I had no connection to the league before 2011, and then randomly watched a Basel game in the Champions League back then. Uh, they were playing a Romanian team. I think they're, they're not even in existence anymore, but. I watched that game and I remember players like Alexander Fry and people like that. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try and watch their games, try and keep track of them. Didn't think I would, to be honest. Um, and I could only kind of see their league games results. I couldn't watch them. 
in the UK. And um, the next game that I got to see was against Manchester United, away from home in, in the Champions League. They were winning that game 3 1, um, a great turnaround in the second half. And they drew three each, very last minute equaliser. But from then on, I just kept going at it. And then a couple of years later, I decided that I would start the Twitter account. Uh, this was an, an old Twitter account that I had, and um, just to cover all the football, really, because I'd seen places for it in different, uh, like Spain, Germany, France, all in English, and I wasn't that for Swiss football. And um, yeah, I started it up, and it's it's been great for me, opportunity-wise, and I've been able to learn a lot about the league in those 10 years or so. Um, I'm often introduced as like a, a Swiss football expert and stuff on these, and it's never really sat well with me because... I'm still, to me, I, I'm kind of still new to to all this, but yeah, it's been it's been a good kind of journey for me. Yeah, well, you're much more of an expert than any of us are, so um, I would take the description. Um, I would take that um, every chance you get. Um, so I think we'll, we'll start obviously looking ahead to the game on Wednesday night at Ibrooks. Craig, just to kick us off, can you give us a an overview of Servette as a club? Um, and how they qualified for, for the Champions League this year? Yeah, so they were founded way back 1890, just as a mainly a rugby club. Um, ten years later, they, they started their football department, and over that time, they were quite successful in Swiss, Swiss football, really successful, actually. Uh, won a lot of championships. They won their 17th in 1999, and that took them... They are now the third uh, most successful Swiss side as a result of that that 17th title, but since then, it's not really gone well. Since, I'd say, the mid-2000s, they, they ran into a lot of financial difficulty. They had all sorts of investors and owners, and you know how that story normally goes. They, they promised grand plans and Champions League football and all this stuff, and it, it didn't really go well. Foreign investors coming in, they didn't really understand the club, the city, um, what they were really taking on, and they ran into those financial problems in the mid-2000s. They were kicked out of the league in 2004-05 season. And in February, they, they weren't able to finish the season. And the league essentially just kicked them out. They, they Basically, their luck had run out. for They'd been in that position for, for a few months. And then, um, yeah, so they took they came back into the third division. They replaced their under-21s team to, to start over there again. They built their way back up, came back up at the start of the 2010s. And then again, inevitably, it seemed to be they ran into more difficulty. They were uh, declared bankrupt. They were back down, relegated for the first time on the pitch, at least only the second time in their, their history, relegated in, into the second tier. They finished second in the second tier in 2015, but were then relegated because they couldn't obtain a license. You need a license to play in the league. Basically, you need to obtain that before the season starts. And uh, yeah, they, they, the league were concerned about their financial position. So they finished second, but were relegated to the third tier. And then since 2015, that was kind of the, the peak of the problems. And they built their way back up. They've got an owner now, 1890 Foundation, a, a local um, investor who's a lot more level-headed than some of the people in the, in the past. And it's been a good journey for them since. They've, they've worked their way back up. And now this is them um, back in, in the big time in Europe. And... To be honest, it's deserved success for, for all the hard work that's gone on at the club over the last, say, eight years. And actually, some fans of the club didn't want them in this position, Champions League-wise. They wanted to actually finish third on the last day of last season. They could still finish second or third. 
they wanted to finish third and play the Europa League playoff so that they were guaranteed European football. Whereas if they'd been out in that last round, they'd have had to play a qualifier in Europa League qualifier in Conference League and maybe not make Europe at all. So all of this is just, it's great reward, but it's all really just, everything's kind of a bonus from here on out because I don't think many people expected them to get past Genk and now they've got this great tie against Rangers to look forward to and nothing to lose really. Just on that actually, you know, and I was at one point I was I thought you were going to say it, and then they won fifty five there. That story was eerily eerily close to to some of the things that we were thinking about, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> relatively recently. So glad that glad that we never hit on that. But you, you spoke about you know Genk there, and I think it's probably fair to say the majority of people Greg expected Genk to win that that game. I'm interested, obviously, the way that played out going down to ten men in the second leg, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But overall, was it a, was it a shock to the Servette? fans and club was this a bit of a oh, can't believe we're through or are they are they generally one of those quiet dark horses that we've seen before that that believe that they can go far i think i get the answer maybe from some of what you're saying about where they wanted to finish yeah so there's always a lot of optimism about the club the fans really believe in their team quite a lot um in these big games they were and back in europe for the first time in, in 2020 in the europa league and they they had a lot of um optimism for that as well but this game against Genk, it was, it was probably one of the toughest they could have drawn in that last qualifying round. So there was a lot of fear because, as I mentioned, they expected to kind of go out and then they would drop into that Europa League qualifier where they would play Olympiacos. And again, you would probably expect Olympiacos to win a match like that. So this game against Genk, myself included, we didn't really think they had much of a chance. I mean, it's a decent team, but... Last season, they finished second with uh, only 53 goals scored, which was the lowest amount for a second-place finisher since 2013. They, they scored 58 points. Only Basel back in 2021 had uh, scored less points in that, and that was a season where young boys had matched PSG's world record for uh, the gap between first and second. So, yeah, it wasn't really... The league wasn't really in its best position last season, but... The team they did fantastically well to finish in second, but yeah, the the actual prospect of beating Genk was not really something that was widely believed. I think they thought they could give them a game, but that Genk would probably win, especially after that first leg when it finished level and they had to go to Belgium. Genk are obviously a very solid team, and then of course, as you mentioned, they go down to ten men very very early on in that game, and. It, Again, you're thinking there's absolutely no chance here. They're not even going to score a goal, though. And when they went 1-0 down, you're know, like, right, that's it. And then all of a sudden, they're back in it. And they go behind again, and then they're back in it. And backs to the wall, and penalty shootout. And it was just a real great display of determination, grit, everything that they needed to get through that tie. And they were rewarded in the end up. But, yeah, I don't think many people would have expected them to, to progress. So, so where does that leave us now then? How is the, the draw against Rangers being viewed by the Swiss media and the Servette team or, or that, their, their fan base? Because I kind of remember trying to pull in the reins a little bit when Rangers drew Malmo a couple of years ago in a Champions League qualifier and we kind of felt like that was the the sewn up one that we'd got out of the group. What are Rangers viewed as for Servette then? Well, I think there's a lot of excitement there, just generally. Like To get through that tie was one thing, but now you've got a game against Rangers, a chance to go to Ibrox, experience a great atmosphere, 
the return leg sold out as well already. That kind of showcases how excited the, the city is. It's the first time uh, since 2003 that the stadium's been sold out, believe it or not. Mainly because the stadium is generally too big for, for the club, for the for the city. Um, but yeah, there's so much excitement about it. And again, as I kind of mentioned before, that it's a, a free shot for us a bit because now they're guaranteed European football. They play in the Europa League next season. Uh, this season, sorry. And um, so whatever happens against Rangers, of course, great. It would be fantastic to to go on and get another round in and start dreaming of the group stages of the, the Champions League. But it's not really, it isn't to be on end all. If they, if they get something, then great. But it's going to be a, a fantastic experience for them. And that is the main thing I can say is just a lot of excitement about it. And I think for teams like Servette, Generally, not not from a Rangers perspective that you guys have or anything else. They see that team, people, fans of these teams see that name, Servette, and they don't recognise it compared to, say, a Malmo who've had like European experience or some other team. So they can be quite dismissive um, without knowing a lot about the team. And um, yeah, I think Servette will surprise some people with how they play. I think they'll be a difficult team to come up against. Rangers, of course, are, are favourites in that game, I would say, but. Yeah, Servette, as I said, have nothing to lose and that can only play into their hands as well. I think as uh, Rangers fans, we've been burned many, many times by by um, assuming that we're going to be going through against against teams we've never heard of before. Progress neither. Una Riyadh was a Cheney, Craig. That's the, that's the one that was in my mind. Una Riyadh was a Cheney. We, we could we could list them off. They're probably more t- more team names than, than than fingers on our hands we've got. But um, there's uh, there's plenty of them in there. Um, but Craig, I think like you say, Survey are potentially a bit lesser known um, within British football than um, than some of the other teams in the Swiss league. How does Survey typically set up as a team, and, and what should Rangers fans expect to see on Wednesday night? Well, it's still very early days under the new manager, Rennie Weiler, who came in um, and replaced Alan Geiger at the end of last season. He was manager of Servette for, I would say, four or five years it was. Um, and his approach was generally more defensive, conservative. As I mentioned, they didn't score a lot of goals last season. They had that quite low tally where they finished second. Didn't pick up a lot of points, but it was effective. But I think there was a lot of frustration from the Servette fans I spoke to that the club the team didn't play a bit more expansive, a bit more exciting football. They were just kind of, as I said, a bit more conservative. And now Rennie Wilders came in and immediately you notice that they play more high pressing, they take more risks than what the previous manager did. And you see that in the results so far. They're, they're unbeaten. They've only won one game, which was the first game of the season. They've scored in all those games. I think it's nine goals, but they've also conceded in all those games as well. So there's definitely a much more exciting side to the team now. And they've also showed their versatility as well in in that second leg because obviously the the red card within three minutes was not part of the game plan in Belgium. And they had to to switch and find a way to get a result and not only get themselves the penalties, but also find two goals, two equalisers to get back into the game as well. So I think there's a lot of versatility there and we're constantly learning about how this team is going to be set up and how the manager is going to approach this. But so far, it seems like there's a lot of reliance on the midfield and, as I mentioned, high press and a lot of kind of risk-taking as well. 
um, and it's so far brought a lot of rewards, but I think there's also kind of some elements there that can be exploited with the goals are conceding to, but there's just a lot of fighting spirit in this team so far from what I can see in the first five games that they've played competitively anyway. So so what are those um, strengths and weaknesses then of the side directly? I think I'm thinking back to what you're saying about high-pressing teams. I'm thinking back to like even Rangers failing against Grasshopper Zurich. And I remember watching the Bow side against Celtic back in early 2000s and I was really impressed with how technical and attacking the football was then. Is that kind of what we're going to be expecting to see? Something like that? And where are they conceding goals? I can see somebody in the comments has pulled up the fact that they had such a low goal difference, but... With the manager changing so near the end of the season, I guess that's going to contribute to that anyway. Well, to be honest, the goal difference thing, the goal difference in Switzerland is, is really weird. The the season that I mentioned before, where young boys won that title by the world record, matching the world record, there was only two teams that, that finished, uh, three teams, sorry, that finished with a plus goal difference. And only one of them had double figures. I think the next was, was Basel with plus seven. So yeah, it was a really that was a really strange season, and even the season a couple of years ago when Zurich won it, I think it was three again, and everybody else was in negative goal difference. Uh, so as you can imagine, it can throw up some some crazy scenarios. But yes, strengths and strengths and weaknesses. I think you know I mentioned that determination that they showed in that game, real team spirit. They didn't give anything up against Genk. They they defended well for the most part. One of the goals they conceded in Belgium was a penalty, so only one from from open play and um, yeah they're definitely a lot more exciting uh, side to watch this season weaknesses as I said defensively it's important to remember that quite a few of these players as well have came on that journey from the Challenge League the second division up to now Um, so that's a totally new level there's an experience there as well Um, and they just they don't look solid defensively I think they rode a lot quite a bit in Belgium um, and as you can, as I've said, they've, they've conceded in every game so far. They were 2-0 down to Zurich at half-time in the last home game in the league and came back. So I think, as I mentioned, there's, there's plenty of reasons to be fearful of what they can produce attack-wise, the way they've been playing, but I also think there's, there's a lot of positives to take in the sense that this is a team that can be got at, especially when you've got them at home in that first leg. You can maybe try and put the tie uh, away in that first leg before a difficult away game in a, in a sold out venue. So, yeah, there's again, there's still a lot of working out to be done in terms of how this team is going to progress. I, I'm going to be very interested to see how exactly they set up in Ibro- at Ibrox because we were kind of robbed of seeing how they were going to play in Genk because of that red card. You know, they might have parked the bus anyway, who knows, but after three minutes, that became the only option. So, I don't know how that's going to be at Ibrox. The way they've started this season, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. But again, this is a bigger opposition than anything else they've faced in the league this season. Um, they've not came up against the young boys away from home, for example, where they might kind of be more and uh, not as adventurous. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how it goes at Ibrox. At, at least at home, I would expect them to be much more on the front foot and actually have a goal like they have been doing all season, but uh, it remains to be seen for, for Wednesday night. Yeah. So just on that, Craig, and you, you referenced the, the red card to uh, Crivelli mm-hmm. in the, the second leg of the Genk game as well. So we've talked about the system there and what they may or may not do and the fact some of the teams being together. Who should we naturally be looking out for? Who's maybe the difference maker um, or the danger people for Servette, but also, in your opinion, 
quite interested. Who's the, if I use, um, you know, Graham Souness's phrase, who's the dummy? Who's the one who's liable to make that mistake at the top level and maybe get shaky with a, a packed Ibrox, the noise on top of them, everybody watching? Who's who's going to get, get the pressure? So I'll start on the uh, negative first so that I can finish on the, on the positive of that. But yeah, so again, this team, as I mentioned, is quite inexperienced, especially at this level. There's a lot of those players that came from the second tier and a few of them in those games against Genk, uh, Timothy Cognat, for example, he, he contributed to both goals away from home. He was a player that played in the Challenge League um, and he was really quite exceptional in that, that second leg. So you don't really know how these players are going to adapt, but I do think the team generally, without being too harsh on them, going to this sort of atmosphere is going to be a real test for them. And I don't know how that's going to go. They went to Genk and they, they did fantastically well to, to grind out that result and get the penalties, but it was hardly hostile in Belgium. It was a very difficult situation they found themselves in, but they, were, they weren't under, like, the crowd wasn't on top of them as it's going to be at Ibrox. So I'm interested to see how those those players react, especially defensively, where, again, they have some options that played in the Challenge League with them. There's also the goalkeeper scenario. Um, Jeremy Frick got injured during the first, uh, second leg, sorry, and Joe Mal came in. He's just signed from a Cypriot team. Uh, he played in Switzerland before a number of years ago, and he was thrust into that game, and he did very well overall and in the shootout. But, again, he's a backup goalkeeper. He's someone that... He did okay in Switzerland, but I'm not really shouting his name, praising his name. So he might uh, be liable to maybe a mistake or two. But again, I don't want to be too harsh on him because he was great in that in that um, second leg. As for the, the strengths, there's actually, annoyingly, a couple of people suspended, injured, that would be effective. Miroslav Stavanovic, who is a Bosnian international, a winger, he got injured in the first game. I'm pretty certain that he's not going to be fit for... Wednesday night, I don't know about the second leg, but he's really been their main creative force for a number of years. In the 21-22 season, he broke the, the Swiss Super League record for assists with 21 assists in, in one season. And then last season, he scored nine goals, which was his highest tally for goals, and then eight assists again. So he's been a really important player for them. And they got by without him against Genk, but again, he's one you would much rather have in your team than not. Angel Crivelli, who we mentioned as you can imagine, he's a bit of a hothead. Um, it's not the first time he's been red carded in games. He was sent off in the league last season for actually punching a player in the stomach while they were kind of on the ground after a corner. Um, and he was banned for a couple of games there. So <laughs> that scenario last week was not overly surprising. It was a bad challenge. He got sent off. He doesn't score a lot of goals, but he's a big, strong, physical striker who would cause defences a lot of problems. So, again, you would rather have him in there. And then come to Chris Bedia, who, as the main striker, he's had a great season last season, scored 12 goals, 23 appearances. He's came back in here and he scored 3-3 uh, three three in the league. He scored against Genk away from home there last week. And again, strong, fast, determined striker. He'll be a real handful as well. And I think any chance of Sovet having a, a nick and a goal at Ibrox or the main attacking threat will come through him. So he's definitely the danger man for me. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That's great. Thanks very much. Craig, just one final question for you. I know you've got to head off very shortly. One final question for you. Um, who do you expect to go through from the tie? I would say Rangers are favourites and I would expect them to go through, I think. Again, this is a bonus for Servet. I was wrong against Genk. Maybe I will be here as well. But I think with this game at Ibrox and the atmosphere and all that stuff that goes along with it, I think that'll be a good platform for Rangers to to make this first leg, take a good lead over to Geneva and then finish the job over there. I think it will be difficult over there, but I don't see Servet managing to um, get a result out of this, especially they'll need to definitely keep 11 men on the field if they want to do it as well. Um, but yeah, I would say Rangers would go through. I don't think it's going to be easy. I think Servet will be really quite hard to break down and all that stuff and they'll have their own threats attack-wise. But yeah, Rangers to progress in my book. Yeah, with that prediction, you have made a lot of friends on this podcast. So, Craig, thank you very much for joining us. You've definitely lived up to the the tag of Swiss football expert uh, with, with that knowledge you've dropped on us. So thank you very much for joining us. Please make sure, everyone, to, to give Craig a follow on Twitter. He's at Football Swiss EN. And uh, keep an eye out for his, his, I assume, commentary across the two legs over the next two weeks. Thanks again, Craig, and we'll speak to you soon. Cool, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. All right, Craig. Cheers, Craig. Okay, so after after that preview um, with the, the the Swiss football expert Craig, um, Tommy, come to you. How are you how are you feeling about the game? Well, I would have I would have felt a lot more confident after, after well before Saturday. I should have said. I, I think so. They are a, a reasonably decent side. I think you know Craig summed it up pretty well there. They maybe not kind of hit the jackpot in terms of luck getting past Genk, but it was a, a total surprise. I don't think they've got the quality, even if their squad is fully fit, to to get past Rangers. Then again, I've said that on the basis of I've seen this new look Michael Beale side in one competitive game and it was not a good watch. So, yeah, I still think Rangers are, I'm with Craig, Rangers are absolute favourites. Need to make sure we maximise performance and goals at Ibrooks. Nobody wants uh, a nil-nil or a one-each or a one-nil having to go away from home. It's it's never a good look. Uh, I was heartened to hear, though, that uh, the people of Servet are tearing up and getting excited about seeing the famous come to town. That's uh, exactly how it should be. But no, I expect us to go through. There we go. I'll, I'll nail my colours to the master. I like that confidence. John, are you, are you just as confident? I would. I liked hearing that they're a high pressing side. I think anyone that wants to come and have a go at us and play that way would really benefit our style of football. That being said, if they've done any other homework um, from Saturday night, 
I would imagine that they would realise that all they need to do is let us have the ball going wide and that pretty much stifles every option that we have. Um, but I would expect people like Campbell to come back in. Um, I think I think the lineup that started that game on Saturday would be a team I'd expect to go away from home in Europe and try and dig out a result, not a team that's expected to break somebody down. So as long as Campbell and, and Dessers looks a bit sharper, hopefully after another game, I, I just... Looking at some of the results last season, I know he said they've changed manager, but they've not changed a lot of personnel from the lineups I was looking at. The big one that stands out is young boys. I know he's saying that goal difference in Swiss football seems to be really tight. If somebody's scudding someone 6 1 that finishes second in the league, that would suggest to me there's a massive gulf in the teams at the top and the teams that are then below that, and then them only being one point inside the Champions League. It it suggests to me that this should be a team that we are we're dusting off, but I felt the same way about Malmo, so I'll I'll count my ch- I won't count my chickens yet. Yeah, and I think Cedric Kitten scored a hat trick in that game as well, didn't he? Which is potentially <laughs> yes. says even more about about that. Um we obviously the um we still have these two games against Servette to play, but given that the the draw for the playoff round took place today, you can't help but start and talk ahead a little bit. Um John, I'll come to you first um for your thoughts, but PSV or Sturm Graz was the was the draw for Rangers. PSV, we know a lot about them after two very tight games last season. How do you feel about about that draw? I think they're actually two really good sides. Um, through following the Scots Abroad podcast um, and following Andy Irvin um, over in Austria, I have been able to watch a, a few Sturm Graz games. They're a very good side. Um, they, they won't be a, a side that we would dust off easily, uh, similar to PSV, so I'm actually, unfortunately, in, in the right area of going, I actually don't know if there's either team that I'd prefer. Um, PSV, maybe just from knowing some, I know they've changed it over a wee bit and they've got a new manager, but at least knowing some of the players and knowing that our players have been to that stadium and dusted off that opposition, it can be a wee bit of good experience to, to come through, but I think that's a... It's the right level of team to be playing to try and get in the group stages of the Champions League. I think it's a, a really good draw either way. I don't like the idea of Tillman potentially being in the opposition side after some some fans' comments on him. I'm, I'm just, you know, that way anytime you play an ex-player, you're just like, I, I don't like this. I don't like the idea of that. So I, I don't know. I think I would rather avoid avoid PSV and have the go at Stumgratz. Yeah, Tommy, let's pick up on that, that point John just made about Malik Tillman. The last couple of days has been um, highlighted. I think Fabrizio Romano has even reported it that um, Malik Tillman will be moving to PSV on a season long loan um, from Bayern Munich with a, um, I was going to say with a definite um, buyout clause <laughs> at the end, but that's maybe not the right phrase for it. With a potential buyout clause at the end of between 12 million and 14 million euros. Um, Firstly, how do you feel about potentially a player like Malik Tillman coming back to to Ibrooks and to play against us so soon? And how do you th- how what do you think of that that move for him as well? Yeah, I think buyers, you know, cast iron selling clauses are the kind of contractual equivalent of a coin on a string. You know, what I mean, they knock it in and then they just whip it straight back. You know, what I mean, that's that's the buy-on model. But no, listen, I, he's a decent player. We would have liked him to have been in the squad with us. He's not. I think he can be somebody who can, you know, change a game score, but he's also somebody who can completely disappear. We saw both sides of, of Malik Tillman. 
think in terms of you know him being up against us, it doesn't give me like sleepless nights or anything like that. You know what I mean? If he if he walks up with the only starts against us, uh, I might come to regret that that comment. But ultimately, we need to pass Servette first, right? I'm probably with with John in terms of I'd I prefer to face Stone Gratz, but. Yeah, Malik Tillman's a good player. I think Bayern are probably actually being quite smart, right, in that they're getting a bit of money from clubs, Rangers, and then I think they reported fee for the loan at PSV is circa one million, if, if you know reports are correct. They pay a little bit of compensation if they they don't do that. They want to keep ticking his um, his value up, and ultimately he wants to play with Bayern. So you know that's no bad thing. Every player can make their their own choice. Ultimately, I think. You know what they were probably saying as well, and what he might have been saying was he fancies chances elsewhere to get a crack at the Champions League again. So maybe a comment on what he thought Rangers were doing actually in terms of how confident he was that we would get there. There's maybe a little bit of justice if we get round to putting his his new team out. But Malik Tillman's not the story. Rangers getting past Servette and then taking on a either team who they've got a decent chance of beating or being beaten by, unfortunately. Is the, is the story. It's a really big moment for Michael Beale because qualification for the Champions League is a real milestone and that's probably the wider issue here particularly coming off the back of a, an opening day defeat. You know, Michael Beale and this squad need to give us something to get behind and that means a performance at Ibrox this week and then carrying that on to the weekend and then carrying on to qualification before we can start to think about what oh, it'd be nice to dump out uh, Sturmgratz, PSV, Malik Tillman, etc. The squad needs to show a bit of resilience and a bit of reaction to what was a pretty terrible performance at the weekend. You, I was going to pick up on something you said there. You said that qualifying for the Champions League would be a real milestone um, and start to build confidence in Michael Beale. If I take you back 12 months um, to Giovanni Van Bronckhorst and then how quickly that kind of unraveled, does it? Can we read that much into? European versus domestic, or does it is it difficult to do that given their experiences last year? Depends what you mean by read a lot into it. I mean, obviously, by definition, the more games you're playing at a higher level, it's going to take toll on fitness, etc. But these are professional players, and they they should be managed through that. You know, you do your loading sessions, etc. There's some mental impact if you're getting your backside handed to you in midweek, uh, and then having to get yourself up for levy away on a you know on a plastic pitch or whatever right um but these players need to show that level of being able to switch back and forward ultimately i think it is a milestone for a whole lot of reasons right we know it's not trite to say the money is really important the money is really important the kudos of being in the champions league is also really important for the brand and everything that comes with it but also it gives an impetus and a momentum now yes that can fall apart but we can't you know, crystal ball, that what you're saying is, would you rather get some tough moments in the Champions League, but be there? And this is a good one for people in the comments and John and yourself, right? Would you rather to, to be there and then deal with that? Or would you rather Stimgratz or PSV or Servette stop it right here? I'm definitely, I want to be in the groups because you can always do different things. And I think Michael Beale needs to get that momentum. He's brought in a lot of players as well who weren't part of that journey. That's good and bad because these players have so far not achieved. I mean, it's opening day, the season's just passed, right? Of course, they've not achieved a lot. But what they've done is they've come out of pre-season with a lot of expectation. 
run into a Kilmarnock-shaped brick wall, now they're looking at qualification. It's probably a, a must a must win to some extent to build that momentum and get back with the fans and say, right, this team can actually do something. That was just a bit of an aberration because you know we didn't p- perform in any way, shape or form near where we could. That's what I mean by milestone. You know, It needs to start now. We can't keep kicking the can down the road in terms of waiting for that performance. We, that's some of what we did with you as well. Yeah, John, Tommy's asked the question there to, to the listeners and we are keen to get the comments off from everyone in terms of would you rather reach the Champions League group stage or would you rather would you rather we got to the, ne- the next qualifying round and actually we just dropped straight into Europa League group stage? We've heard a lot this summer around that. Luke Gibson, 97, comes into the comments and says, I can't handle another UCL campaign of batterings. Uh, UCL is great for money, but to be honest, Europa is our level. Then you've got Scott uh, 05 who says we would be in pot three so we could finish third, drop into Europa in the new year. I think that's probably the ideal scenario all round for, for everyone from my perspective. But where do you where do you stand on that one, John? Aye, I mean I mean also try to focus on Servette, and I'm already thinking of who we'd play in Europa um last sixteen. Um I think that is for most people that would be the, the, the ideal scenario. Um, even even ahead of somehow finishing in the top two of your Champions League group would be dropping that Europa and have a run at Europa. I think I said this a, a month or, a month or so ago on this podcast. A, a lot of these players have been signed to come and play Champions League football. That's what they've been sold on. That's how we've got Raskin, Campwell, Dessers, Danilo. That's how we've got them to come to the club. As we've told them, look, we got Champions League last year. Use join. We'll get it again. We'll get more group stage. We aim to get forward again. We would aim to be finishing third and have European football after Christmas. This is why you're here, and this is what's going to increase their sell-on value and get them in a, a global market for people to see them. So, uh, yeah, I think the group stage is a must for Michael Beale. If Michael Beale going into the international break isn't level on points with Celtic and in Champions League, I would consider this have been a little bit of a, a bumpy a bumpy first six weeks in competitive management for me. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Point of comments coming in as well. Uh, Freddie Faulkner, we have to aim for the Champions League every time, progression every time, but it's all about the league. Um, Jordan saying Europa is very tough this year. Ajax, Liverpool, Brighton, the list goes on. Ophra Hill saying getting to the Champions League and getting stuffed is better than losing to Servette. Um, there's probably about 40 million reasons why that's the case. So it's not quite 40 million, is it, after uh, for Stuart Robertson told us told us last year um but it's, it's, it's interesting how varied tommy the that i shouldn't be surprised by the fact that rangers fans hold about 100 different opinions on the same on the same topic but it's, it's interesting how varied the sort of positions that, that fans are taking on on this topic is uh, yeah listen and there always is going to be a bit of a spread and some of that comes from the weekend where there would be a lot more positivity i'd imagine in the chat if we hadn't hadn't done that I'm, I'm not walking past Lauren's comment as well uh, in terms of was it a Kilmarnock-shaped brick wall or a Michael Beale one. Uh, well, you know, take your pick. I think there's maybe a bit of both, right? But uh, I've only got one set of bricks, so I was giving them to Kilmarnock there at that point in time, right? But, it, yeah, listen, I I suppose the question I'd put back to people is if you are going to say we don't want to go into the Champions League and we don't want to have tough games and maybe get a few defeats, right? How do you plug that funding gap? Right? Because you're going to have to go, even a run to the final 
of the Europa League, etc., doesn't give you the same amount of money. So you can either take tough moments, but still have the ability to go out and have a summer like we've just had in terms of spending, or you can say actually we'd rather have in a, you know in italics more comfortable games and not be in a position to spend. So set your ambition wherever you want. That's a personal choice. But you can't say we want to go into the Europa League because we think we've got a better crack at that all the time and then be able to you know, get a level of spending that the expectation is and the support as well, that we aren't uh, a Spanish club or anything like that that can do some of that sometimes. They can have a run for a year or two in a, let's say, the Tier 2 competition, but their TV monies, et cetera, give them a much more, you know, a, a much heavier weight to then go in and spend cash. We don't have that. It's UCL or it's cut your cloth very, very much accordingly. I think that has to play into people's minds as well. And unfortunately, there's going to be nights in the Champions League where you get outclassed because there's teams out there that are just sharks in the water. And then there's those great nights where it all comes together and under the lights, we hear the music and we keep the points. And do you know what? I'm willing to, I'm willing to roll the dice on them sometimes because of all of that. And you really can't beat a win on a Champions League night at Ibrox as well. So, yeah, I'll I'll stick my position, which is need to be in the Champions League group stages, no matter how tough it is, because it does so much more for the, the wider impact of the club. Yeah, Jim backs in the comments saying Rangers got to be ambitious. Champions League for me. Um, Jordan says got to always be fighting to get to the best. We should always be aiming for the Champions League. No matter what, uh, Freddie Faulkner, what's the point competing as a football club? We want to be up there with the very best. Um, Scott 05 taking on, I think, continuing to take on the, the more pessimistic angle. It's only money. Uh, we need a title. Um, Jay Walker, sometimes getting humbled in the Champions League, can put you on a downer for week games. I know, Tommy, you highlighted that earlier on. I'm personally of the opinion that we need to qualify for the Champions League group stages if we're going to have any chance of of really competing for titles in the coming years we need to have that have that money and bridge that financial gap that there are currently is between ourselves and celtic we can't hide away from that fact in the champions league um qualifying for the champions league group stage is one way in which we can start to to bridge that gap or at least ensure it doesn't get any bigger than it already is um so yes it'll be really interesting to watch on um as we go forward but First things first, we need to beat Servette, and that starts with a win at Ibrox on Wednesday night. And we will be, uh, we'll come back to um, getting the guys' thoughts on what potential starting lineups or setups are going to be. But we'll touch a bit on the the wider discourse, I guess, around Rangers setups and how the team is is uh, lines up formation wise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we'll come back to lineups, etc. At the end. Of the podcast, one other way in which the club... how many etcetera's was that? Uh, a lot, but there's going to be. Many I want, I want something in the chat. <laughs> Tell me how many etcetera's that was. Should I, should I have a wee counter in the corner just to? <laughs> I mean, this is why Greg won't have me on in a Monday night, even though I'm the boss. Right, I don't get allowed to come on and count this type of thing. It's fine. At least you've kept an agenda tonight, Tommy. So you're you're doing better than normal. Oh, the pod's got a long way to go yet, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one other way in which the team can look to to bring some money in is by selling players, and it looks like Fashion Sakala is on his way out the door, given a goodbye message that he's posted across his social media channels tonight. I was originally going to be talking about his the cryptic messages he sent yesterday, but. 
thankfully, just before we came on, he posted a, a much more definitive um, goodbye. I'm still not entirely sure where he's going, John. I imagine it is Saudi Arabia um, that, that he is going to, completing that rumoured £4 million move. How how do you feel about it? It's a hard one. Um, I don't I don't think Sakala was ever ever massively consistent enough in his performance. However, the numbers you need to replace are quite substantial. Um, it's the same argument I make on a, a Tavernier, although I'm not comparing the two, as you can talk about Tavernier's frailties as a defender, but where do you replace 28% of your goals to the time he's been involved? Um, Sakala's the same in that front line. The consistent numbers he put up for goals and assists, somebody needs to replace that, and that's now on Danilo Dessers or Sima, whoever's taking that mantle. It's a lot to replace. Um, but I do think, technically, we've brought in better footballs than Fashion Sakala. But I think as a free transfer, someone who's contributed high numbers um, was part of a squad that got to a European final and we're getting £4 million. Not the worst deal all in. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, Tommy, John mentioned one of the, the key points, I guess, that is on many people's minds, especially after Saturday, and that's how do we replace the numbers that Passion Sakawa gives us. We all know that he has his, his, his high moments and his very low moments in terms of um, missing open goals in some places, in terms of tripping over the ball after skinning four players, but also knocking it into, knocking it into the top corner from a, from the tightest of angles as well. He's, we've, we've all been on the Fashion Sakawa roller coaster the past couple of years. Um, CGM55 says Sakawa looks miles better than what we saw on Saturday. How do we, how do we go about replicating or replacing, sorry, his, his goals and assists, do you think we have the people in the squad currently to, to do that, or do you think that's something we need to look to add? So, before maybe I answer your question, I'm the same as, as John and maybe most people. Whatever you happen to sit on the on the fence, right, of he was a nightmare, right, and somebody you'd want to watch to, to get and play in play with Rangers, to he had great numbers and could cause cause chaos, uh, relative great numbers compared to what he was playing. Nobody would disagree that the, you know, Fashion Sakala played with his heart on his sleeve. By all accounts, a lovely person, great in the training ground, gave his all. So I wish him nothing but the best. In all honesty, I hope his career flourishes. I never really believed that he was of the quality of a starter for Rangers. And quite frankly, I came to the opinion that he wasn't really even a bench worthy of it. What you're absolutely right in saying now is Michael Beale wants to change the way we play. 
we've done a decent bit of business if the numbers quoted are right, and I believe that they are you know, fairly fairly close to being correct. He goes out. You need people like Sima, dare I say it, Matondo, because it's been it's been a day or two since I said that he is he is the gem <laughs> somewhere, right? But uh, Dessels, Danilo, you know, all these these guys to step up and start scoring goals. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Saturday was terrible. There is zero gloss you can put to that. I'm really hopeful that's not going to be an indicator of everything we get through the season, right? So I'm going to try and be positive, which is these players have been brought in with the likes of, you know, people were hoping, you know, Kmar Roof comes back and has a run in the, in the team uh, as well. You know, these types of forward players can't well, uh, etc. to come in and get those goals and do a different style of play. To John's point, I think the players that brought in are technically better than and a, a level better than Fashion Sakala. What we might need to do is look back to who can play absolutely on the, the wing and get behind teams. There might be scope there for another player to come in to the squad and Rangers haven't necessarily finished all their business. It's just, you know, they've done the majority of the key stuff right now. So there could always be a, you know, a chance for that. But yeah, I mean, I think if you look at his numbers in isolation, they would be a really good story. If you look at maybe who he was scoring against and the level of chances he was missing, it tells a slightly different story. I think Rangers have done a good bit of business. I wish them all the best. I hope that money finds its way into a checkbook somewhere to then be spent on bringing someone else in. Because I think what we did see on Saturday and people who watch this podcast and supporters in general and ourselves, because we discussed it, had noticed that Rangers still had a bit of a could-be-narrow risk that looked to be exposed on Saturday. And whether that's just an aberration and players went naturally following the plan remains to be seen. If it was a we didn't expect teams to go up against us and do a bit of man for man and then squeeze us, then that's a bit of a miss from the coaching staff because that was always going to happen. So we might need to unlock that by bringing someone else in who can play directly on that wing, who's got the pace and the finishing ability that the likes of Matondo, etc. haven't shown so far. So a bit of a, a long-winded answer around the houses of wish him all the best. Do I think that he's a criticality loss to the squad? I don't. However, that will only hold true if the players that we've spent big money on actually do their jobs and maybe we bring in uh, somebody else to do a role on the uh, on the wing as well. John, Tommy thinks it's a, it's the right move for Rangers and, and a good move for Rangers. Do you agree? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not a... It's not a player I saw fitting into Michael Bill's system Um I remember when we signed him, I was quite surprised that a Gerard had signed him. I didn't see where he fit into the way Gerard wanted to play. Um, so yeah, I think moving him on, it's very clear that we have a different type of player we wanted to bring in, um, different type of forward, people that can more link up the play better and more clinical when that chance drops. Because like Tommy said, the, the numbers are impressive, but you would exchange all of those goals and assists for him putting in two empty nets against Celtic. So it's getting yeah. that. Yeah, I think that that's that's absolutely in, and that's what it comes down to, I think, for a lot of Rangers fans. Those two empty nets against Celtic are, are, are what pops up most of all when any discussion about Fashion Sakala is had. One thing that doesn't regularly um, come up in conversations I have about Fashion Sakala, and I, I don't think it's true, but I have absolutely no idea, James Carr, Sakala is going out with Amanda Holden. I mean, maybe yes, maybe no. I am I falling and hit my head, right? And I'm in a, I'm in a daze somewhere. 
Amanda Holt, she's on the TV. Yes, she's yeah one of the talent it's, shows. Yeah, she used to be on. Is it Britain's Got Talent? I think I, I, think. I don't remember. Something like that. Yeah, she used to be a judge on that. Uh, so, she's not married to Les Dennis. I, as isn't right. Really. Okay, <laughs> I know Les Dennis. That's <laughs> how down down with the popular culture that I am at this point in time. If there's no Rangers, I'm not. If there's no Rangers, I'm not interested. Can sure, Amanda Holden play up front? <laughs> Potentially. If she's got pace and can play on the wing and converts chances. I'm I'm willing to to ship her back into the squad for a trialist, but beyond that, you never know. It might it might be a swap deal. Fashion Sakala might be a judge in Britain's Got Talent next year, so you know you never quite know. <laughs> and on that note, we'll move on from Fashion Sakala. Um, please move on from Amanda Holden and Fashion Sakala. Um, there's been Tommy. There's been a lot of criticism, I guess, fired at Rangers from all angles about all aspects of the team and performance. Um, since Saturday, I kind of wanted to move up, move the conversation on a little bit and start talking the, the bigger picture and what that means for for Rangers going forward and where we think the changes need to need to kind of be. Um, one thing that struck me about Saturday was it felt really different to how Michael Beale had the team playing towards the end of last season. Why why do you think that was? God, that's a that's a simple question to answer. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that one. Um, no, listen, you're right, and I, I think so. Probably trying to take a breath, right, and not again throwing the baby out with the bathwater. One defeat does not make a season. One defeat does not mean every single player in that squad and all the recruitment and everything that Michael Beale and the board have done is terrible, and that we should set fire to all. Right? Doesn't mean that. I think more so what got under everybody's skin, certainly I speak for myself, was, as you highlight, the nature of the performance. It was relatively drab, uninspiring. The revamp and reformation of our forward line was non-existent. It just did not work. And this was against a relatively run-of-the-mill Kilmarnock. And that's not me doing them down. I thought they all played really well and Derek McKenna set them up really well. Fair play to them, right? They deserved, I think they deserved the win, right? But they didn't do anything surprising, and yet we didn't seem to have all of that energy that we've been talking about up front, that dynamism in midfield, that desire to get forward, that um, technical ability that's been uplifted by the new players, and all of that energy and forward-thinking chaos that Michael Beale's been talking about since the moment he took, you know, he put the tie on, and as you see, that we were playing in. In small parts last season, I'm not getting carried away. There were some pretty drab performances there as well. But Michael Beale got away with that because this was going to be a revamp. What you're hoping is it was just a an expectation or whatever, and it just didn't work on the day, but we'll see a totally different team against Servette. Ultimately, I think the, the problem Michael Beale now faces to some extent is, does he change it? You know, Dessers looked off the pace, Cantwell should start, etc, etc. Or does he try and give those players another chance to say, go out in the exact same team and show these fans what you can do at home and let them get behind you? There's pros and cons to both of them. I personally think he'll stick to a lot of, if not all of that team that started actually against Kamala. I think he will show a little bit of belief in them. Uh, the one change might be maybe a Fuentes. Uh, might come in and or camera, so probably two changes there showing that I can't count. But I, I, I mean, 
you only start to get really worried if we put in the same level of drab performance against Servette, and then you get worried again if we go away from home domestically and we set up in a same relatively cautious um, setup and then put in the same sort of drab performance because that performance against Kilmarnock, that setup is going to be what we see 95% of the time domestically. It's not going to be up against expansive teams who want to go, right, we'll show you we can play you off the park. So Rangers need to get that house in order pretty quickly. But again, without duplicating what I've said, the momentum, the confidence, the wash from the stands to the players and vice versa starts against Servetta Ibrooks. Team need to come really out the track, the traps and put a performance in, not just a result, because it's performances that generally get people energised. If they see a level of football that's really exciting and gets chances and all the things that Michael Beale has been banging on about. Yeah, John, I think Tommy made an, an interesting point there. I'm not sure I agree with it in terms of most of the most of the team from Saturday will probably get another chance. Uh, Finn Fogel says in the comments that if he plays the same team as Saturday, he's done as a Rangers manager, the fans will go tonto. Where, where do you stand on the in terms of refreshing? I think, like Tommy says, I would be surprised if we didn't see Sifuentes come in and Cantwell. I'd also be surprised if Danilo didn't make a start on on Wednesday night. Where do you kind of stand on that that balance of giving players another chance versus refreshing what from what we saw on Saturday? I I, th- I think I think Danilo will start. I think Cantwell comes in. Um, outside of that, I'm not sure. What he changes, um, I think that's probably Seaman Lundstrom or Seaman Dill that are going out for for those two. Actually, I just think it was the wrong combination of players. I think if you're if you're playing for me, if you play Dill, you can't play Lundstrom, and vice versa. I think you have to play one or the other. I think they give you a lot of energy in midfield. I think the tidy footballers. I actually thought Dill was fine. I thought Lundstrom was okay, but I think the two together, there's no invention. I think that was the thing that surprised us so much with the way we'd been playing. Camp, Camp Mel comes in. The, the whole way he plays, we're by no means going to be a a one a one man team. That's never going to happen. The the squad is better than that. But I do think that Camp Mel is the one that changes his whole system from being this narrow kind of gritty way that it looked on Saturday to having a bit more flair. I know Campbell didn't do anything when he came on, but it's really hard to come into a game like that when you're a goal down and it's stuffy already. I just think it changes everything. It gets you up the park. It drops teams off. It allows your fullbacks to get higher, which allows us to join a second striker in the box and actually get deliveries in. Because I don't think a Michael Beale side is going to naturally have a winger, and it. it's going to be the width coming from fullbacks getting across areas. It just didn't seem to gel together. It was the wrong combination of midfielders. So Campbell has to come in. Cafuentes is, is is fit and full and flow. He could just walk into the team providing they feel comfortable, he understands everything they've been going through, he could walk in to that to that level and to that team and not be short of match fitness. I think Danilo's the question mark. Is he ready to start a game? I would say from the, the three that started and the way they performed, you maybe need something something fresh, and I think that would be him. You spoke there, John, about how narrow we, we were on Saturday. Um, and I think what surprised a lot of people was the over-reliance on fullbacks again. Um, that seemed to be something that we didn't quite have towards the end of last season, but it returned with a vengeance on on Saturday. I think I already know the answer to this, but 
is that something can we afford to rely so much on our fullbacks going forward this season? I think if you have the right combinations of people in the middle of the park, I think that's fine. Um, Michael Beale's always going to be a guy that wants to dominate the middle of the park to then find his fullbacks and areas to cross. I think we were coming to the fullbacks too early. They were getting the ball 35, 40 yards from goal rather than arriving onto it in the final third. And that kills. And that is what Campwell brings to that team. That's what will change it. If one man will change that team, he will invite people to press him. He will drive at people and pull people out and allow fullbacks to get the time. I think I only seen Tav and Barisic with maybe one or two opportunities where they had the ball to roll out their feet and put a cross in, and there was people on top of them as soon as it happened. Kilmarnock were using their two strikers to push full-backs inside, and they had the wing-backs to go and press them when they needed to. It was just, it, it was a, a really tricky opponent to be facing on the first day. It was it was one of those ones that just felt really uncomfortable, but I, I think I'm just going to end up being like a broken record. I think it's just record myself saying if Campbell started, it's a totally different game. I think to, to John's point as well, actually, it's maybe dead really easy. I, I agree with John. I think it's really easy sometimes that we say, you know, all the fullbacks. Now, yeah, we have had a historical reliance on them and we fell into a little bit of a trap on Saturday as well. But there's a really good recent interview, uh, relatively short, with Zinchenko um, at Arsenal. And he's, he was talking about you know, playing that fullback position. It's not done in isolation. If I'm the fullback, I can come inside, that creates space because someone needs to track me. I'm kind of saying exactly what he's saying. Or I can push on and do the overlap and that creates space. What we had was a combination of all of that. We weren't getting fullbacks as far up as we wanted to get that ball. When they were making runs, and this might have been down to a little bit of you know um, lack of familiarity with the team because they still are relatively new, runs were getting missed. There was actually some really good, good runs that weren't getting picked out. But also, when the fullbacks had stepped forward, we weren't always naturally supporting them or getting people to break lines. It's why Raskin started more and more trying to bust through and trying to make something happen. Right? And, you know, like I said, I'm with John. I thought Lundstrom was tidy. He's not the answer on that right-hand side of the of the three. So to speak, and I think I said um, at the time in our group chat, you know, he tried Hadji out there against Hamburg as well. It didn't naturally work. And then Dill was, was fine. Actually, I thought Dill was okay in patches. But you're not going to get that same level of dynamism up top. So it's the only point I make there is it's not in isolation. It's not just as simple as saying the fullbacks never got the ball in quick enough. Actually, they need to put put in the right positions to get the ball in. Then you can have a different conversation of is the quality good enough? Did they take a touch too many? Both of which happen sometimes as well. So I just wanted to make that point. It's it's more about what's the middle to forward movement to unlock your your fullbacks if that's what you're going to rely on. Yeah, Tommy, just sticking with you, John mentioned that Michael Beale will always, no matter what the game is, want to dominate that midfield area um, and sort of build from there. You mentioned a bit about the midfield as well. Um, one of the major criticisms I've seen about, I guess, Michael Beale's set-up in general is he tends to be overly cautious, particularly in the big games. Is that a fair criticism to be levelled at him, um, do you think? D- depends where you're coming from. I suppose, right, which is an answer that's not an answer, so I'll do my best to flesh it out, I suppose. But So if you're taking that from last season, well, I think Michael Beale would probably, in his quieter moments, said, I don't have a lot of confidence in large parts of this squad. And that was maybe right on the midfield, actually. It wasn't giving him anything he needed. That's why he tried to do something about it with the Raskin and Cantwell purchases. And, you know, they took a little while to get up to speed, etc. And, you know, maybe a bit of an own goal when it came to the not pitched them in the, uh, the cup game, etc. Um, 
if it's this you know season, well he's been able to get whoever he wanted in, right? Sefuentes maybe been that last part of that midfield puzzle for him. So I don't think he'll be setting up naturally cautiously. What he likes to do is he likes to control the ball and control the space, right? And then implement his style onto another team to make them reactive. Where that fell apart on Saturday was we didn't naturally implement it. And when we did get the ball down, we weren't incisive. So the midfield could move forward all they wanted, but they weren't picking out the runs. We weren't as dangerous in the box as we should have been. And we weren't exposing Kilmarnock's weaknesses by getting over the top or down the side. Never really worked. So I don't think, I think it's a wee bit easy to say that Michael Beale's cautious. I think what he's expecting is his team to dominate the ball and then dictate the tempo of the play. Another thing that was lacking on Saturday was when we got it, we slowed it down. Definitely not how he wants to play the game. He wants to move it really quickly. We seem to have completely forgotten that. Some of that might have been with the ball sticking on the park and all that type of stuff, but that's not an excuse that anybody should buy into, right? So, yeah, I go back to I don't think he's naturally cautious as a coach, actually. I think what he's looking for is his team to implement their style on the others and then be able to play as opposed to react overly to what other teams are doing. Sometimes the wheels can come off on that if you're not tactically flexible and aware. I was shocked that we didn't have a personnel change at halftime on Saturday, for example, when it clearly wasn't working. That's maybe some of the challenge that can be levelled at him because we've seen that in the past a little bit late to react. Yeah, John, Tommy's touched on the, I guess, the final point I was going to um, make in question ask you before we moved on to looking at lineups for, for the game on Wednesday. Um, and Joe 90 touched on it here as well. He says, can't dominate when you're lazy and slow in the build-up. One of the most frustrating parts for me on Saturday was whenever we did get the chance when Kamarnock were out of position or we stole the ball at the halfway line, we, we went for a sideways pass or a, a backwards pass or we stood on the ball and waited for them to get into into position and to break them down. We all know as Rangers fans that as soon as you do that, you're causing many more problems for yourself and you're significantly reducing the chances you have to break teams like that down who are resolute, who are strong, who are well organised. I, I, I have to assume that it's not, like Tommy says, it's not the way Michael Beale wanted us to play but how concerning was that for you to see yeah I think we've all seen the the Tavernier 45 second throw in clip and I think at a higher level when you're in old forum games you might want to be like right Tavernier you need to make sure you're taking those throw ins because if we're out of position if we lose the ball on Celtic counter is there is a problem but when it's teams that are going to play a, a 5-4-1 a 5-3-2 against you and they're even remotely out of position, the idea should be get the ball right back in as quick as possible. I've seen all the comparisons to Postacoglu and how Celtic do it. There's a reason they do that. The ball needs to be turned over super quick. You cannot let teams settle because that's what they do so well. Yeah, I think so. Um, I can't disagree with any of that. So um, it'll be really interesting to actually, there's so much that we all took, mainly from a negative perspective from Saturday that, it's one, it's a good thing that we've got another game and an important game coming up so quickly afterwards, but it's also so important as well that we see the progress and we see the differences and we see the changes from that on, uh, from that, uh, I'm going to say performance, but let's call it a dismal display on uh, on Saturday night. Um, Tommy, I'm going to come to you. First of all, looking ahead again, um, just round it up and a, and a, a little bow by going back to the Servette game. Um how do you think we'll set up against 
Servette, you touched largely on, um, I guess, the personnel that will that will um, be on the park. But in terms of um, what you've heard from Craig earlier on in this podcast, what you'd expect from a Rangers team playing at home in the first leg of a European qualifier, how do you expect us to set up tactically and how do you expect us to, to play, I guess, or, or take on the challenge of Servette on Wednesday? Exactly how I described earlier uh, in terms of you know, speaking about what we were missing from Saturday, which is I think we'll start relatively high press. I think we'll look to dominate the ball early on. I think we'll look to move it really, really quickly, um, a lot quicker than we did on Saturday. I think we'll look to do all those things that Michael Beale has spoken about. I mean, I don't think the game plan naturally changes overly, to be honest with you, because you know we may get surprised, but I think the Servette will be looking to feel their way into that game. A little bit. I don't think they're going to come out saying, right, let's play three up top and let's try and you know get down the channels in the first five minutes. Yeah. If they do, we might be in for a right interesting evening, given their defensive record and how, how we played as well. We might end up, you know, five, six each or something like that. But I think that Michael Beale will be looking for a real strangle bold start, which is pin them back, get on the ball, everybody get comfortable, try and create an early chance. If you can obviously try and get an early goal, get the stands coming with you and coming with this team because, yeah, everybody will be, and I'm not being pessimistic here, right? But everybody will be up for this game, right? We're all Rangers fans, we want to see a ham. Everybody will also have Saturday in their mind, right? This team now need to deliver something for the fans to get behind. It's not the other way about. So I think Michael Beale will be transmitting that to them of, listen, it was a big letdown of expectation get on the ball early, move it really quickly, show them what you're like up front, keep that movement, let's show them the quality that's been brought in over the summer, let the Rangers fans do what the Rangers fans do, which is get behind the team. That's pretty much how I think we'll, we'll set up. But yeah, same kind of patterns of play, trying to get it away to a certain extent, trying to have runners like Sima and Lammers dropping deep and then trying to get beyond as well. I think the midfield will be an interesting place to be, to be trying to play through with Sifuentes or whatever. I'm hoping so. Um, what level of protection? Maybe we do see Lundstrom drop out. Uh, a wider range and answer there, but yeah, I think it's up to the team to get us up for this one. Actually, John, looking at the um, the tie as a whole, obviously over split over two legs. Traditionally, I know it's been a couple of years now since the away goals rule was was enforced, but traditionally you wanted to be at home in the second leg um, and hope that you. Um, snuck a one each draw or, or potentially a narrow victory away from home. What, given that Rangers are at home in the first leg, what should be our, our target, I guess, as we head towards the second leg? How important is a clean sheet or is actually is it just the margin of victory is, is more important, do you think? I feel like any victory. Um, is enough. I think. I, I think from from seeing the team's clips against Genk, I, I think it's a team we could beat away if we had to as well. But I do think any victory taken away will be fine. I don't think the margin of victory needs to worry. I don't think away goals needs to be a concern. I, I do fully expect us to to dominate the game. Um, and no matter who we play, in which positions, I think the the team will have a better performance. I think you, you can't make excuses with the pitch, but. Yeah, watching the game, it's honking. It's it's difficult to watch sometimes, but any any method or manner of victory, I think, gets us positive in the second leg. 
perfect way to round off that answer is by giving us your, your scoreline prediction. So off you go for that one. If three nil, I think I think we will. I think we will be comfortable. To be fair, I think again providing the right lineup is is in play, and and we play the way that we we had been near the end of last season, and your new players turn up. I think three nil. Tommy, same question to you. Do you know I'm determined to be positive this season? So four nil, four nil. Well, we're going to dominate it. And we're going to see the real, real Michael Beale Rangers on uh, on the big stage. There we go, four now. I'm going to go much less positive than the two of you. I'm going to go for a two-one win um, for Rangers on on Wednesday, and we'll be all to play for as we as we head to Switzerland next week. Um, we're we're over the the usual hour mark, so I think we'll draw the podcast to a close there. John, thank you very much for joining us. Been a good one. Pleasure as always. And Tommy, thanks very much to yourself as well. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. And thank you very much to Craig King as well, who joined us earlier. Um, if you missed the start of the podcast, make sure you you, you rewatch it back on YouTube. Um, it's a really interesting first 20, 25 minutes before us got started talking. Um, <laughs> get all the insight into our opponents on Wednesday night. So, in terms of what's coming up this week on the podcast, Kyle and myself will be attending the the game on Wednesday night, uh, Rangers versus Servette, and you'll have all the usual match day coverage live from Ibrooks, including the live gantry post-match podcast please remember to like and subscribe to the tii youtube channel and like the get drop the video a like as well if you've enjoyed the content there's loads more coming from tii for the rest of the week and well beyond into the rest of the season thank you very much everyone for joining us until next time goodbye Podcast Network.